sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you are evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free? From your passion and pride, there's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for cleansing to Calvary's tide, there's wonderful power in the blood. And there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And there is power, power, wonder-working power In the precious blood of the Lamb Now would you be whiter, much whiter than snow There's power in the blood, power in the blood Since saints are lost in His life-giving flow there's wonderful power in the blood. Now there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Now there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now there is power, power, in the blood of the Lamb, now there is power, power, wonder-working power, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now victory is mine, and victory is mine, victory today is mine, I told Satan, Satan to get thee behind, and joy today is mine, and victory is mine, victory is mine, victory today is mine, and I told Satan to get thee behind, victory today is mine, one more time. Now victory is mine, victory is mine, 
and uh, we also have the Morliers who are away. Just um, also remember Sister Madeline and Grace who are in Arizona uh, traveling this weekend. And um, we also just want to remember uh, Sister Sarah and Ashley Buchanan. Uh, they are at home sick right now. And if you would also remember Sister Carrie and Hannah Whitlock, they are also at home sick. And I also have a request here for Sister Diane, who needs a touch in her body. So if you would just uh, remember those needs. And uh, David, if you would come on up, and if you would stand with us, and we'll take these needs before the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come into your house, dear Lord, at the end of the week, throwing, bringing all our burdens and cares to you, dear Lord, and just laying it at your feet, dear Lord. We just ask you to be with those that were mentioned, all those that are away and traveling and working. Just keep a hedge of protection around them, dear Lord. Just go to them even now and be closer than a brother to them, dear Lord, and minister to them. We just give this service into your hands, dear Lord. May you be glorified in it. We just ask you to be with the minister as he comes this morning, dear Lord. Just anoint his lips to say what we need to hear, dear Lord. Just touch our ears. May it fall on prepared ground, dear Lord. May you just dwell in in our praises, dear Lord. And we just love you and we thank you. We give this day entirely into your hands. May your will be done. Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats for just a moment. Let's sing that song, um, Jesus, Draw Me Close. We don't have any specials this morning, so we'll just sing a couple of songs and, uh, and we'll move right on into the service here. Jesus, draw me
every chain, break every chain. Now just sing it like this. And there's a bride that's rising up. And there's a bride that's rising up. For there's a bride that's rising up. That will break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain. Just sing that again. Now there's a bride that's rising up. And there's a bride that's rising up. Oh, there's a bride that's rising up. And she'll break every Break every chain, break every chain. Now there is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, there is power in the name of Jesus. For there is power in the name of Break every chain, break every chain. 
to break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. One more time. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Amen. Let's sing that song, Heart of Worship. Yeah, you can praise him a little bit here. Because without that blood, without his name, we have, we have no power. But with it, we have power. Amen. Let's sing that song, Heart of Worship, as Brother Barry comes. When the music fades, all is and I simply come Longing just to breathe Something that's a voice That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song is, is not what you you search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about
Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, we are honored, Lord, to be gathered as your guests today, and we invite you to come and move among us, Lord. You are the you're the great one, Lord. You are the one that is the teacher and the comforter. Lord, you're the revealer of your word. Lord, you know the priority and know the best thing to say. You always have good things for us. I pray now today you'd make the word real, make it understandable. Lord, I pray you'd convict us where we need conviction. Settle us where we need settling. Forgive us, Lord, where we've made mistakes. Father, I pray that you'd restore joy to those that need it in their heart today. Lord, you're everything to us, and we acknowledge that today. There are many people, Lord, that are listening, many people that are not well, and so we commit them into your hands and pray in the name of Jesus Christ that, Lord, you would undertake for them. You're a God who knows no barriers when it comes to time or distance, Lord. Father, you're able to be touched by the feeling of your infirmities, the different kinds of struggles we find ourselves in. And, Lord, now we just commit the day into your hands. We thank you, Lord, for all that's gone on now to bring us to where we are. But, Lord, I think the very best thing I could do is just step back and just let you have the preeminence among us today. And, Lord, may you just take the word and make it real to every heart. And we'll give you thanks and praise for all you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to have you take your Bible, if you don't mind, and I'd like you to look in the in the book of Galatians with me this morning. Thank you, musicians. That'll be just fine. We welcome all of you here today, and certainly good to have each and every one of you here today. We have uh, some visitors, and we have lots of folks that are out today in different places, and some that are not well, and we sure do miss them when they're not here. Uh, we have Candace and Sarah, right? Sister Colleen, God bless you. Good to have you today. Uh, and each and every one, may the Lord richly bless you. I hate, I hate missing people uh, when we're not here. But uh, good to have all the Walters here filling up the pew. God bless you. Good to have you here today and uh, each and every one. And when I say each and every one, I mean each and every one so that you don't feel missed out, missed and, and left out. All right? So good to have you here. Sister uh, surely good to have you here today, and uh, we're just praying for your mom, and uh, just trust that the Lord will continue to strengthen her. Galatians chapter 6. There's two little passages here that I want to read. They're all very familiar. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. One of the most self-evident and true statements that you'll find in the Scripture is that what a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, there's one little passage, if you go back up in the chapter 5, right at the very end, in verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And we ask God to bless his word. You may be seated this morning. We are just absolutely delighted to uh, have Lillian Joy Godwin 
uh, in the world or at home, and uh, you've probably all seen the pictures now. You're way ahead of me when it comes to social media, but uh, Josh and Kristen said they were uh, released last night from the hospital, so they're home and uh, doing well. Um, we also, too, want to remember Sister Mary Smith. She's had some problems due to the falls that she's had with the pain in her neck, and so she is uh, going to be... Um, She's going to be um, uh, given another shot, and they're ministering to her. They're also going to do another cataract surgery on her, so uh, we want to remember her in prayer. And then the other thing I want to do is acknowledge the Sylvester's anniversary tomorrow, right? How many years? 35. 35 years. Wonderful. We appreciate the Sylvester's very much, and God bless you both. Trust you'll have a wonderful day, and that's a great milestone, uh, you know, to uh, come to is 35. You know, when people are married, you know, 8 years, 15 years, 17 years, people say, oh, yeah. But, you know, when you, not that that's a bad thing, but when you get up to into the 30s and 40s and 50s, people are like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's all good. And uh, we believe that marriage is, uh, is ordained of God, and uh, it's all good. But we trust that your day is blessed tomorrow, Brother Mark and Sister Jackie. Um, we were able to attend the wedding of, uh, officiate at the wedding of uh, John Anthony and Hannah uh, on Friday night. It was very nice, just a small uh, group in a beautiful setting, right smack on the border of, uh, of Virginia and North Carolina, right up in the mountains there in Sparta. And if you saw any of the pictures of the wedding ceremony itself, in the background was Virginia, and the foreground was North Carolina. And uh, it was just, uh, just a lovely spot, and it was a lovely time together, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see them soon enough. I wanted to mention also, too, June 19th is when we're going to have, that's Father's Day weekend. Uh, we're going to have a, a youth gathering here at 5 o'clock, and uh, for the group that's 13 and up, if you're available to be here, we'd love to have you. We're going to have some activities, a little uh, session so at 5 o'clock on June 19th, that's Saturday night. And then Sunday is Father's Day, so we'll have a Sunday morning service. June 27th, uh, we're going to have a dinner on Sunday after church that honors our graduates from 2020 and 2021. We were not able to do that before. So uh, we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to plan uh, a dinner. Summer already is very busy, as summers usually are. And if we didn't do it on that Sunday, we would not have another day until September believe it or not. And so uh, this is June 19th is for our youth, and then June 27th is uh, for our graduates on uh, June 27th, and that will be the graduates of both years. And uh, we'll uh, give you some more details about that on June 27th. All right. I want to jump right in here and uh, hold your Bibles because we're going to look at a little passage of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament here today as an example. Now, um, I, I want to. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit here and uh, the real thing. We've we've titled uh, this little series on Sunday mornings that we've been doing that I've been doing uh, called the Real Thing, and and it's uh, an obvious statement when we say that every one of us want to have the real thing. We want to have the right stuff. By the time we get to the end of the road, how many would agree? I think you're all familiar with that uh, with that concept. Well, familiar with it by now. And uh, if, if that's the case, then, 
we also, too, want to know what the evidence of the Holy Spirit is, what the, what the real evidence is, as Brother Branham described it. He came uh, through many, many times, and he said in the days of Luther, the evidence was described as this. And the Methodist era, it was described as something else. And then the Pentecostal era, era it was described as, a, you know, the, the uh, restoration of the gifts and speaking in tongues and so forth. Uh, all of those things were, were okay in their time. But Brother Branham, he mentions that over and over because he wants to take away any doubt about this issue of the true evidence of the Holy Spirit. And he says very categorically, he says very clearly that the real evidence is to be able to receive the word for your day and to be able to walk in that light. And so you can say, and, and we had to be careful actually when we, uh, when we take a simple statement like that, I, I believe it's very true. I, I have no doubt in my heart that that is a, the, the, a good definition of the true evidence of the Holy Spirit. But there's a little bit of a, 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 a caution, I guess we'd say, with that. And say, well, Brother Barry, if I accept the message and I believe that, uh, you know, uh, everything that you teach and everything the message says, I can say amen to it, well, that's okay. Uh, you, you, you would be absolutely right, but I would caution you that there's a little bit more to it than just sitting there saying, I agree with what's said. There's a little bit more to it than just saying, I come to church regularly, pay my tithes, believe the message, uh, give to mission work, and got a Malachi 4 bumper sticker. There's more to it than that. And Paul describes one of the things that is necessary in verse 25 of Galatians 5, where he says, if you live in the Spirit, then you need to walk in the Spirit. Right? Heard that all of our Christian lives. What in the world does that mean? What does that actually mean when you live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit? So this is kind of an addendum to the whole idea of what is it? Uh, what does a real Christian walk like? And what is the, what's the, re- the real evidence? What's the real evidence in your, in your life that uh, you have the Holy Spirit? Because remember now, we want to have the real thing, right? Right? Everybody together? We want to have the real thing. And, and we want to we uh, be characterized by a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we want to uh, have that uh, assurance in our own heart. And it's really nice that other people recognize that as well. I told you on my birthday, we went fishing on the New River, and there was six people there, six of, uh, of us there were all believers. And uh, at the end of the day, we were just kind of shaking hands with our, we had three boats, so we had three guides, and shaking hands with everybody and just kind of leaving. We were getting in our vehicles and going. I was the last one to shake hands with our guides. And there was one guy there I'd never met before. He was an older man. His name actually was Buchanan, believe it or not. And uh, he... Uh, he, he just stopped for a minute, and then when I shook his hand, I said, thank you for your work today, and it uh, been a lovely day, and he kind of held on to my hand, and he said, you know, he said, I, I really don't know who you are. He said, I don't know who you guys are, but he said, you're sure a nice group to work with. You're different, you know. Uh, uh, most people that go along and do something like that, you know, a bunch of men out uh, hunting or fishing, it's, you know, beer and uh, you know, all kinds of bad humor and everything else. He said, I, you, you, folk, you folks are just different. He said, any time at all that you want to get together on the river, he said, you let me know. And I thought that was a nice footnote to the day, a nice, a nice thing that during the day he, he, had, he had taken notice of our group and just seen that somehow or another, not knowing the cause, but 
just knowing that, you know, things are a little bit different with this group here. And I attribute that to Christ. I, I, uh, my guide that we had, Lucas and I were in the same boat. We were, uh, we were moving down the river, and my guide, you know, very often he, uh, I think I'm his pastor, as a matter of fact. Uh, he, uh, he's not a churchgoer at all, never had an involvement in church, but he, he seems like he stores up his uh, spiritual religious questions for me when I get in the boat. And uh, so we're going down, and I'm, I, of course, I'm focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's the big one, right? I'm not too worried about much else. So I'm, I'm you know, we're working the shore and going down. And he says to me, he says, well, uh, Mr. Coffey, he said, I got a question for you. He said, I'd like to know, what is it that makes your boys different, your family different than most other families? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, these guys don't smoke, they don't drink, they never heard them use a bad word, they don't... They don't even slam each other, he said, which is an odd thing. And, and he said, uh, you know, they're, they're all, uh, he said, you described them all, and they're all, uh, you know, good boys. They're all in church. They're all, uh, you know, got some education. They're all married. Got, got, they're all got their families in church. He said, what is it that makes you different? What did you do different to raise your boys than someone else? Like, everyone's family does, is not like that. What did you do that's different? I said, Wes, I said, listen. Uh, I'm busy, but I got an easy answer. I'll give you the short answer. All right? Here's the short answer is the reason why. I said it's Christ. He kind of looked at me like, okay. I said, no, you got to understand. It's Christ in me and Christ in my wife. And I said, we didn't really know how to raise kids. I, I checked them over really good. There was no instruction manual that came with the kids when they were born. There was no barcode. There was nothing I could scan. Nobody I could ask. I've told a story many times that even when Andrew came home that night, and he was so nice and well-behaved in the nursery the first day, and they sent him home, uh, we were up all night, and I called the nursery, and I said, Hey, listen, ladies, do you mind if I bring him back? Because something's happened between the time he was in the hospital and now, and we can't get him turned down. There's no volume button here. And we had never had kids before. We didn't know how to raise kids. And I said to Wes, I said, You know, there's really, uh, I I said, we're not any different than anybody else. I said, the thing that's made the difference in our lives is Christ. And I said, we live by the Bible. We believe the Bible and live by the Word. And I I said, we just walk in that light and and we pray and ask God to help us. I said, we we didn't know how to educate. We didn't know which way we should educate our children, which way we should really raise them. I said, my background is very different and my wife's background is different than mine. But I said, the, the thing that makes the difference is Christ. And, you know, he, he wanted to talk about that some more. And, he, as a matter of fact, at the end of the trip, he said, I'd like you to, to, to sit down, he says, so we can talk some more. And I said, you can do that anytime. You're always welcome in our home. And so I, I say that to say this, that it's nice. It's kind of like what I refer to as like a bonus, that other people recognize there's something different about you. And in a world where uh, there's so much, uh, you know, there's so much evil and there's so much, uh, you know, odd and weird things that are going on, I think a Christian should stand out a little bit because of not only your dress, but your conduct as well and your language and your priorities and uh, the things that you say. I think they should give away the fact that you, uh, you're a Christian and that you do have different priorities. It doesn't really matter whether the world agrees or not. It's just, it's just the way that it is. 
Now, uh, let me give you a little statement here this morning. Brother Branham, in the message, sir, as we would see Jesus, he said, now, what is the Spirit of God? He's asking this question. What is the Spirit of God? It's something that lives in you and moves through you. He said, God was in him, in Christ. Now God's in us, and he's the vine, and we are the branches. And it furnishes, the vine, he says, furnishes energy to the branches, and the branches bear the fruit. Right? We're very basic here. And he says, now, our hands are his hands, and our eyes are his eyes, and our life is his life. And he puts his life in us, and we live the life that he would live if he were here in a physical form. Let me say it again. He puts his life in us. And now we live the life that he would live if he was here on earth in a physical form. Wow. Okay. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Brother Branham made one statement like this. He said, he said, the modern church, he said, in the last day, he said, if it's the same vine that's putting out another branch, you could write a book of Acts behind it. The book of, the book of Acts, as I read it, is a... Uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, stories that are linked together, and they have one common thread or one common theme through the whole thing. And that was God wanted to have a group of people that he could live in and work in and express himself through. Right? He just wanted to have the preeminence there. And, and, and nobody could stop that church in its infancy and in its confusion. And confusion, I, I know what I'm saying, because this morning, uh, you know, when you think back about the early church, they had no... There was no such thing as the, uh, you know, the bride of Christ before, uh, before the day of Pentecost, right? They had no idea what the Christian church should look like. They'd only gone to a synagogue before. That was the, that was a church of the day. It had always been the church of the day. Unless God met them in the wilderness, or like Abraham, God spoke to him. But really, the, the only church they'd ever known for centuries and centuries was a synagogue. And now all of a sudden, here's this group of people that are gathered together, stretched out, spread out all over the surrounding region, and had no idea really how to conduct church. They just went to church. And God wanted, God allowed that to happen, and then He began to use them, and then miracles happened. More people came, and baptisms were held, and, uh, you know, prison doors were open, and there was persecution, but it still survived. And there was disagreement, but you know what? They still thrived. And, and there was people against that church, but they grew anyway. And the Jews were not happy, but, you know, God said, God went like this, so what? And, 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 and the church moved on, and here we are today. We're a part of that, right? And, and if we are a part of that, and God's put out another branch, then you should be able to write a book of Acts behind it. I believe that a lot of times the Christians don't even know that God is using them. But he does anyway, because that's his whole desire, is to display his nature and his attributes through his children and through those he redeems. I, I, I think that's God's purpose, and that's what God wanted to do, just like Joseph back in the Old Testament, right? Follow me now, just for a moment. Joseph, back in the Old Testament there, and he's in the prison, and uh, you know there's a butler and a baker come to him with a dream, and one of them is, one of them, uh, you know, is redeemed, released, and the other one is, is uh, put to death, right, in the prison? I don't believe that Joseph ever knew, I don't believe that he ever realized that he was actually 
representing what God would do many, many thousands of years later when uh, Jesus was hanging on the cross and one on his right was forgiven and the other one was put to death, right? Or, you know, one was, was taken into the kingdom and the other one died as, as an unbeliever. You know, I mean, Joseph never knew that. He, he's going through life and not even realizing that uh, he's expressing attributes of Christ long before Jesus ever stands on the earth. You know why? Because the common theme is one Holy Spirit that's lived through the people of God through the ages. Are we all right? Brother Branham says this, and greater than Solomon is here in 1961. He says that if tonight you're hungering for divine healing, there's a fountain open somewhere, and you're hungering for more of God. And there's more of God somewhere, or you wouldn't have the hunger. I really like that. You're hungering for more of God. And he says there is more of God somewhere or you wouldn't have the hunger. That's a law of God, like sowing and reaping. That's a law of God. You can't actually hunger for, for righteousness unless there was a righteousness to be had. You can't hunger and thirst for something that doesn't exist. And so if God gives you a desire to live right, there has to be a way to live right somewhere, somehow. <clears throat> if God gives you a desire for healing... If God, if you know you need a healing touch from Almighty God, and maybe doctors don't have an answer for you, let me tell you, there's got to be a God somewhere who has the healing virtue that's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's got to be there because you can't hunger for something that doesn't exist. I believe that if you have a desire to have your body change and go to glory, I believe there's got to be a glory somewhere. Otherwise, you would never be able to hunger and thirst for it. All of those things, I believe, they're in existence, and God places a new kind of a desire that's contrary to the old nature that you had. God places new desires in you, because now, now we we focus on I want to be right, I want to have the real thing, I want to I want to you know come to the end of my days and have Him say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Isn't that right? I don't know about you, but I I, I think about that. I, I want to be I, I want to have no shadows on my gravestone, on my grave marker, if I get one. If I get one, I, I want to have, uh, you know, I want to have a clean slate when I get there. I want to make sure that I don't have to say anything to my uh, wife or my children on my deathbed and say, guys, I never told you this, but I don't want to have to do that. I want to be honest and transparent. I want to be able to live that way for God and have the freedom to do that. And, and so there's a law of reaping and sowing. There's a law of the deep. Call it the deep. And every one of us, we, we should have desires that are contrary to the old nature that are continuing to be expressed. Now, <clears throat> let, let me, I'm just preambling a little bit here this morning. In, in, in the serpent seed message as well, Brother Branham said, Now, if somebody told me that uh, Jesus was a healer, but my church said the days of miracles has passed, and I had a need of healing, he said, I'd run just as fast as I could to the altar to get healed. Sure would, is what he says. Then he gives another example. He said, if I was a preacher and had a woman preacher in my pulpit, and I read in the Bible that a woman wasn't supposed to preach, he said, I'd take her out of there, even if it took the hide off my back. Then he gives this example. He goes into this example. One night he said there was a woman who was there, <coughs> excuse me, who I, <coughs> I heard about this when I was in, Jeffersonville one time years ago, and I, I mentioned it to you before, how Brother Branham came in the back of his church when the adult Sunday school was going on. There was a woman standing in the pulpit, 
And she was a very strong-willed, in-your-face, kind of a loud, aggressive kind of a woman who wanted her way. Anybody know that type of woman? I know you don't. And she was in the pulpit, and Brother Branham stood back there, and he kind of cocked his head. They said a little bit and just listened. Went around the church, came into his office there, pulled her in after church, and she never taught again in, in, in the Sunday school class. She never taught again in the pulpit at all. And uh, matter of fact, she went on to become a president of a Bible school in Jeffersonville. You can go, and I've seen the building myself, and go see that uh, institute there where they train women preachers. Now, to Brother Branham, this was, a, uh, this was a sensitive issue, and that's one of the reasons why he was put out and separated from the Baptist church where he had the beginning and where he was baptized. But Brother Branham said there was a woman, he says, in the church, and he said they, they used to wear... Uh, the, this women who he was referring to, he says they, uh, he said, now you're, uh, this woman said to him, now you're not coming to my church. Uh, this is not the same person. I was in Brother Branham's church, but he said, this lady, uh, she said to Brother Branham, you're not coming to my church with your old teaching. And Brother Branham said they used to wear their dresses way down and the way they, they, uh, you know, expose themselves. And he describes a little bit of it here. And, and she said, well, if you ever come to my church, she said, I'll sure put you out. And he said, this lady who was there, he said, I look back and I see her sitting up there. And she, he said she was dressed so immorally, but she was on the platform singing. And Brother Branham said when they were having a word of prayer, he slipped off his jacket and went over and laid it across her lap to cover her up a little bit. And he, and he just simply said, Madam, if you're going to listen to me preach, would you please wear this coat while you're in the church of God? And Brother Branham said she got up and stomped out of there. And she said, if I had a cow, I wouldn't let him have your kind of religion. And Brother Branham said to her afterwards, he said, lady, you don't need to worry about it. He said, uh, she won't have it. And he said they left and went out that way. And, and uh, Brother Branham had this conversation with her. And finally, he got word. And this was somebody who was local in the community. And he got word that this lady who had said these things to Brother Branham, who he tried to put the jacket over her, she was dying in the hospital. And so Brother Branham knew her husband, and he called Brother Branham to come and to pray for her and so forth. Brother Branham goes to the hospital. I thought it was pretty gracious, and he goes to the hospital. And on his way in, he meets an old nurse that he knows. And she said, Reverend, no need of coming. She's dead. But she screamed as hard as she could for you before she died. And she said, I got a message for you that she gave me. She said, tell that preacher what I said about him, please forgive me. That was the message that she wanted to get to Brother Branham. So I went down and looked at her, and Brother Branham went into the room where she was. She had just passed away, and her husband was there. And he said her husband was a Catholic, and she, he said to Brother Branham, Brother Branham, say a prayer. And she, she wanted to see you so badly. And I said, Brother, he said, a prayer for her now wouldn't do any good. He said, the way the tree leans, that's the way it falls. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. <clears throat> so there's, a, uh, there's a, a, a life that Brother Branham recognized. You know, there's a, a, a way of conducting ourselves that the Scripture talks about. And uh, to me, I, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to just talk to you this morning. And I want to jump into this whole idea of now we've talked about the Holy Spirit. I want to specifically talk about what the Holy Spirit actually does in your life. 
And I'm actually kind of surprised of where this has taken me. I never thought it would take me to where it's taken me. But uh, I, I just want to, this morning, just in, introduce or move into this area of what the Holy Spirit really does. How does he actually work in your life? And how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? And some of these things might be, seem simple to you, but God's got a way of doing things. And he's got a, an order of things. He's got an order of things in your life. He doesn't deal with everything uh, just slam bang all of a sudden. Like uh, there's a quote here where Brother Bram talks about Jezebel, and he said that Jezebel spent a lot of her life harassing the people of God and the prophets of God. You remember how that Elijah and the prophets of Baal had the showdown up on the mountain up there, and Brother Bram said, you know, you wonder why God didn't take care of Jezebel right then. We know when they were contesting the one true God. But he said, God's got a time for everything. And it was later on that she died, and the dogs licked her blood off the chariot. And Brother Bram said, we don't always understand that. But, you know, it it is God nonetheless, and he has a way of doing things. How many would agree with that? I mean, there's things that you prayed for, and it didn't happen right then, but maybe happened later on. How does the Holy Spirit work in your life as a young person? Or how does the Holy Spirit, uh, how will the Holy Spirit work when it comes to you finding a husband or a wife? Now, that's a big deal. That's an important thing, right? For all you folks that are married, you're sitting there saying, yep, sure is. And for all you young people that are sitting there, you might be saying, hey, hurry up. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm 15. I'm ready to go. And God may be saying, well, there's a season. There's a time for everything. And what you need to do is just get in harmony with me. And I know exactly what's best for you. You've got to trust me. And Now, we say that all the time. But I will tell you that the Holy Spirit has, a, has an order. He has a time for everything that happens in your life. And he's interested in who you marry and who you don't marry. He's interested in, uh, you know, the things that he introduces into your life and then the things that, uh, you know, come your way and opportunities that open up. All of a sudden, things can change. seems like God hangs out in left field because all of a sudden he'll come in out of left field and uh, do something and change the whole order of your life and everything's, everything's different and nothing's the same. And so I, I want to I deal with that. Is that all right? I want to deal with that. I know this one thing as we head into this. There's, there's kind of a, a one underlying principle that we've got to make sure we understand, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit's never going to lead you contrary to the Word. All right? And, and you, all, you all are amen, and I thank you for that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's sometimes easy to amen to, but it's sometimes a little bit different when your emotions or your passions are wound up into this or... Your kids are wound up into this. And this, this is my kids now we're talking about. And you have this bare look on your face. And so there's, there's some things in here that uh, personally we wind up wrestling with. Not because we're evil people, but because the Holy Spirit, he's always going to lead you according to the word. But there's, there's things about us, you know, we have our own, maybe our own thoughts about something or our own will or our own ambitions about things. And that's normal and natural. But the whole, to me, the whole important part about the Christian walk is learning to surrender to the will of God. Learning to submit to the will of God, right? And, and learning to accept his way, like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, not my will, but thine be done. And, and when, when you begin to do that, let me tell you, you're, you're becoming something that God can use and God can flow through, just like he did in the early church. 
You remember, I mean, when you talk about flowing through somebody, for example, and these are all basic things, you remember when Peter met the man outside the gate, beautiful, and Peter has nothing to give him, but God uses him to give the man everything he has need of. He has nothing in his hands to give to that man. But at the end result, because God was able to flow through Peter, the man had received everything that he had need of at that moment. That could only be God, couldn't it? Because Peter's doing this. He says, you know, silver and gold have I none. I've got nothing in my hand to give you, but let me just say this. And he prays for him and gives him the commandment to, to rise and walk. And so the man receives the greatest thing that he had need of at that particular moment. That's God flowing through somebody. I would like to have that. I don't know about you. I'd like to have the real thing. I like, it doesn't matter who gets the glory for it. It doesn't matter whether anybody, uh, you know, acknowledges that. But I, I just like for the Holy Spirit to say, well, at least i got one person on earth I can use. I'd like to be that person. But remember this. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to his word. <clears throat> there was an article that I read recently, and I, it was in a magazine that actually began as a Christian magazine that began in the 1800s. And uh, somebody gave it to me, and I was flipping through it, and they were talking about um, the, the, the essence of this magazine. Just hold tight now for a minute. The essence of this story was uh, the quagmire, the uh, slew of despond that... Christian denominations and churches have gotten themselves into because they sort of opened the door to homosexuality and homosexual ministers and uh, all that goes with that. And, and the idea was that, and without going into the details of it in their argument, but the idea was this person was commenting on the fact that, you know what, we, we didn't want uh, to distance ourselves from the culture that we live in so we wanted to embrace them. But when we embraced them, we didn't realize where that would go. Uh, we, we compromised just a little in order to include them and make them feel like Jesus loves you. But uh, they brought all kinds of things with them that uh, they wouldn't let go of. Because as soon as you get a, you know, a homosexual couple in the church, well, guess what? Somebody hears about that and they come and they want to get married in the church. And then after a while, somebody says, well, I feel a call to preach. And so they go to seminary and they graduate, and now they want to preach at your church. And then you got a lesbian woman who wants to preach in your church. And then you got, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and they were arguing and saying in the article that this kind of has found no stopping place. And I thought, well, that's really true because that's how the devil works. He doesn't really know where to stop, Right. He just keeps going, and you give him an inch, and he'll take a foot, and you give him a foot, and he'll take a yard, and, and he gets in there and causes all kinds of havoc. Well, they were saying, well, what do we do now? I mean, we, we, I mean, there's a lot of disagreements. There's a whole lot of new churches now because people left that church because they believe this. And now, uh, you know, we're more free over in this church over here, and this, these are on the contemporary side, and these are the traditional side. And, and at the end of the article, the author said, there seems to be only one real solution to this, and that is to go back to the standards of the Bible. And I thought, bravo, amen, encore, but you're a little late. Because I don't think you're going to lasso that thing and bring it back to the Word again. Because that devil's out of the box, right? And so, 
<clears throat> you know, you, you, had to, you had to think about this on a broad scale. It's not, 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 not something that we often think about, but on a broad scale, Satan, in a sense, has deceived the entire church world. It's, it's actually, in a corporate sense, moving directly in the wrong direction. All of them are. All of them are. They're all going to come under a headship they don't want to be under. And they have nothing in them to see what's ahead. And God, by His Holy Spirit, has given us the ability to look ahead and realize, wow, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I'm, going to hear, or I'm going to respond to the call, come out of her, my people, and be separate from that. That's why you can't help but feel pity. And sorrow for people who are moving in that direction because the world is, is moving in a, in the, into a, a sphere of darkness and a cycle of destruction that they have no idea what lays ahead of them. But God, by his grace, anybody out there this morning, God, by his grace, has chosen you and opened your eyes, given you eyes that you might see, and given you a great shining light in the last day that you can walk in truth and walk in holiness and walk in liberty and walk in the right direction towards the right place because that's where you truly belong. God has done that for us. And I hope I haven't lulled you to sleep in saying that, but I'll say this, that we should be a very happy, very joyful. It's time for us to get our hands out of our pocket and worship God and, and, and just to thank Him for what He's done for us. I mean, at the end of the day, when you get there, you'll say, wow, you know, that really was wonderful. Brother Barry was right after all. All right, let's take your Bible. If you will, go back to the Old Testament. I want to look at an example back here, Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. <clears throat> so what does the Holy Spirit actually do in your life? Paul tells us, he said, if we... <clears throat> if we live in the Spirit... He says, and we should walk in the Spirit. Those words are, in a sense, kind of similar, but let me define them for you. If we live, meaning that if our life source, if the essence of who we are is the Holy Spirit, then, then, let us proceed. And the the word walk there, it means proceed. If the Holy Spirit is the source of our life, then let's proceed in the Spirit. Okay? Uh, if, If, if... If we live in the Spirit, God doesn't want you to just sit there and say, all right, I'm a Christian now. He wants you to proceed. All right, let's go. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to become something. And that's the idea that Paul is conveying here. If we live in the Spirit, we're going to walk in the Spirit. If He is my life, then let's proceed. Let's go on. Because He said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. So every part of the journey, He's there. And so... This is what we want to take a look at as to how that actually happens. Now, let's look at somebody back here who's living on the other side of the day of Pentecost. He doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience like they did in the upper room. But let me ask you at the end of this, what spirit is motivating this guy? Second Chronicles. Chapter 29, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, i got to stop and add, he was the 13th king after David. His father was a rascal. His father was an absolute rascal. 
The only prophet that we know on the earth at this time was Micah, who happened to be living in the south of Judah. This is in the time of the divided kingdoms, right? Judah and uh, Israel. And so uh, he's got, these, these two uh, kingdoms are separated here. And uh, the, this is the 13th king after the lineage of David. But he doesn't have a good example of his father and how that he lived. And so Hezekiah, all of a sudden we see him, we break in on the scene and look at Hezekiah. He's 25 years old now at the beginning of his reign. And that's what the story begins about. So he's just a, a guy like some of you that are here. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. And he, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. Let me read you just a few verses here. And he brought in the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear ye me. He's not been around a long time now. This is the first year of his ministry. And he says, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Sanctify yourself becomes a... A theme all the way through here. As a matter of fact, it goes on for several chapters uh, as to how uh, Hezekiah required or requested, according to the word, according to the book, the law, of how that the Levites, the priests, and how the people should sanctify themselves over a, a period of time. It just was not one day, but it was over a period of time that they were to sanctify themselves. And so he tells them in, in the fifth verse there, he says, Sanctify yourselves and, and the house of the Lord God, and carry out the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. I really like this because he's saying that, uh, you know, there, there's problems in the, in the kingdom. There's problems in the, in the land of Israel. There's problems here in Jerusalem. We, they're obvious. I mean, the church is shut down. They don't have church anymore. And, and things are kind of grown, ground to a halt here. And it's not our fault. It's not our doing. It's our, for, our fathers who came before us. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to fix it anyway. Because at some point, somebody has to take responsibility for the situation that they're in. And so he, he just has it on his heart. He says, we're going we're gonna to do this, and we're going to take the, uh, the, the, the first step here. We're going to initiate uh, this process of restoring things back and coming back into the presence of God. And he says in 7, And they have also shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have, burned in, and have not burned incense. How many know that incense refers to prayer? Prayer is what they lit in the, uh, in the sanctuary and the smoke rose up. And the idea was that this is like prayer that rises up to God. And notice what he says, that the doors, they have shut up the doors of the porch, meaning that, you know, it was difficult for the people to have access to God. And they put out the lamps, there was no light. And they have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the place, in the, in the holy place, unto the God of Israel. They're in a place where the light's gone out. This is where the light should be. And wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he had delivered them to trouble, and to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. I've got to stop for a minute and say this. God says, like, the, the problem was with your fathers, and this is what they did. And they, they forsook God's laws. They, 
let me tell you, they didn't forsake God's laws and say, well, there is no God. They knew there was a God, but they allowed certain things to happen by inviting Canaanites in and uh, the Chaldean people and, uh, you know, different other uh, uh, nations that were round about and their practices and their, their, their things. And they allowed their sons and daughters to marry into those cultures. And as a result, things got a little bit more watered down all the time. And so over time, not in a day, but over time, all of a sudden now, when God looks down at the temple, he sees, hey, the doors are shut. The lights are out. There's no offerings being made. Nobody's praying anymore. And you know where everyone is? Everyone's busy. They're out doing things. And there's nobody has time to go to church anymore. We've got this going on and that going on. Do you hear me this morning? And, and so, I mean, this is the way the people were. They were... Imagine now, this is, this is Israel. This is, the, this is the, the 13th king after David, David and Solomon. You know, the big temple kind of Solomon. And here they are, and, and they're, they're at a place where somebody might be visiting town, and they come to the synagogue, and the synagogue's shut down. And there's no fire burning. There's no sacrifices being given. There's nothing there that indicates that church is a regular thing. Because people have got stuff to do, or whatever, doesn't really even say where they are, but they're not having church. They've got other stuff that's going on. And so Hezekiah looks at all of this and he says, this is what's happened, folks, and God's turned us over. In verse 8, he's turned us over to the wrath of the Lord. And he said, there's, now there's astonishment. He says, I, I'm going to introduce this thing and there'll be astonishment among you. You know what astonishment is? I, I, I looked it up and I wanted to make sure that I had it right. Astonishment means, to our, in our English language, it means the word appalled. Appallment. Appallment is not really a word, but appalled is. And so he's saying to, to Hezekiah, he's saying to the people that, uh, you know, where we've come to, that you people that know better, the Jewish, because that's who he's writing to, and that's who he's gathered around him now as the priests and the Levites. He said, uh, God's turned us over to the place where we're appalled by what's going on. In the society around us. The society that we thought we could compromise with. The society that we thought we could integrate a little bit of, of them and what they do into what we do. A little bit of the, the culture and a little bit of the way of life. And, and now all of a sudden, here we are, we're turned over to Paul. I don't know whether you're following things recently, but uh, there was several of you and several other people have sent me links related to the uh, the things that are being produced now for children that are two to five-year-olds on YouTube and other places. And all, all the things related to the gay parades and the redefinition of the families and all the rest of it. And I, I, I just, I, you know, I've been appalled. <laughs> and how, you think, wow. I mean, this used to be things that happened in middle school and high school. And now they're, 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 they're tailoring this stuff for Two to five-year-olds to to actually, and I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to, I mean, give me at least this this break. But they're trying to reprogram how a, a child thinks. Two to five-year-olds, they're very susceptible and very impressionable, right? And so, if they're listening to some blue dog who's singing over and over and over a million times that a family is now this, and a, mo- and, a, and a mommy and a mommy and a daddy and a daddy, and this is the family, and they're all nice cartoon characters, and they're, they're all friendly, and they're jumping at you in the screen, they say it a million times. 
I know how my grandchildren are. They, they get it. They don't need it a million times. They're two or three, four, five. Hey, that'll do it. We got them. And, and, you know, you just think, wow, you thought you'd seen it all? And now they're going to put it on cereal boxes? Uh, you know, I mean, of course, it was gone and on. You think, wow, at the end of the day, you're appalled at how bad this society can actually get. And, and you know what's even more appalling is that if you say anything about it, you're going to get it thrown right back in your face. That's, to me, what's appalling. That's that's what our, our fathers and grandfathers would turn over in their grave about. If they knew that America that they lived and grew up in, and by the sweat of their backs they fought wars and, and harrowed the ground around us and, and, and lived to build what, we, uh, what, what they thought was this place of their dreams for their children, and now we've turned around and created a modern Sodom and Gomorrah and made the, made the, uh, you know, the, the education process, not all of it, but made, the, uh, you know, made that so available and so uh, common and so popular and so accepted, and elected governments that passed it in their legislatures to protect it so nobody can reverse it, they turn over in their grave. And I wouldn't blame them. Turn their back on the country that they fought for. To see a nation turn away from the values and the morals that they knew were right, that they were based on Scripture, and they knew that they were, uh, you know, the foundations for good, strong family life. They knew they were the keys to raising responsible young men so that they could go out and work and provide a living for their family. They knew, they knew it, and I mean, for the majority of people, they knew in society they elected leaders to preserve that. That was not on the agenda back in the day. But let me tell you, it is the agenda today because we're living in the end times. We're living in the days when the Bible says it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And you think you've seen it all, and then something else pops up, and people start sending you links. And then you realize, wow, how much worse can it get, and why doesn't God shut it down? And then next week, somebody sends you something else, and you realize it just got worse. You know how you feel? You feel appalled at the whole thing. And that's what Hezekiah said to the people there. The reason why we have the appalling things that are going on here is not because we're necessarily a bad people or evil people, but we have turned away. We've closed the doors. We've put out the fire. Nobody prays anymore. Are you, are you following me? There's a consequence for your behavior because we read in Galatians that you're going to reap what you sow. Whether you're a nation or whether you're an individual, you're going to reap what you sow. And that's exactly what happened back here in the Old Testament. And Hezekiah is looking at that, and he's saying rather than, man, rather than just roll over and just let it happen, let's read a little bit further, if you don't mind. Verse 9, Lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. And our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Because of this. You know who suffers a lot because fathers don't step up to their place of responsibility? Very often it's the young people first who, they all of a sudden, they pick up things. And there's not a strong umbrella of grace that's over that family. Because you know who's the head of the house? It's not the children. It's the man who's the head of the house. 
I think that's why it's a good thing to have a men's meeting every now and then and gather men together and we talk about the responsibilities that God's given to us. And because he puts it in this order. This is not my thought here, but this is what he puts it in there. Our fathers have fallen and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. The whole family hurts because fathers have moved out of their place. I'm not suggesting that you moved out of your place, but I'm just saying that you as a father, God's going to come to you before he's going to go to your wife and ask you, why is it like this in your household? You need to pay your tithes. You need to go to church. You need to establish an, an altar in your house. You need to have priorities in your house. You need to move along because you know what? Nobody's going to come along and change things. God's never going to reach into your checkbook and pull out a check and just rip it out and sign it, even though it's his money. He's not going to do that. You know what? That's something that you've got to do when you walk in the Spirit. Not just to say, I have the Holy Spirit, but when you walk in the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk in obedience to His commandments. Everybody here? Everybody all right? Let's go a little bit further here now. I mean, we, you're, it's pretty obvious. For uh, He says in verse 10, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that His fierce wrath may turn away from us. And he says, My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Now, guys, it's up to you and me. And I'm, I'm going to open this door. I'm going I'm to start the ball rolling here, and I'm going to submit myself to this. Now, if you take the time and read the next three chapters, which I would encourage you to do, you'll see how much he actually personally gave. Out of the king's storehouse, he gave 600 turtle doves. He gave 400 sheep. He gave this and that. And, and the king's allotment. And then he went beyond that, and he gave more. So he was not somebody who was, uh, you know, distantly just telling the people, you better do this and you better do that. He was out there at the forefront writing checks himself. He was, he was opening the stall door and saying, let's, let's give a tenth part. Let's give a fifteenth part. Uh, and I'm not suggesting tides have gone up yet. But... Uh, no, I'm only joking. But he, he's, actually, he's actually doing this himself. He's taking the lead by actually doing this himself. And then he says, now, don't you be negligent now. I, I, if, if you want an example, watch. Watch what I do. And then Hezekiah begins to do all these things that are contained in the law. And then he says, now, I, I, I need you to do this as well. And so he begins to put in place all of these things that uh, have long been undone. But you know what's really interesting here? I've got to pause and say this. What's really interesting, or what's not here, what's not in this chapter anywhere, or the, the following chapters here, or the preceding chapter, is a prophet. There's no spokesman that comes to Hezekiah and says, Hey, your days are numbered. Mene, mene, tekel, and There's no handwriting on the wall. There's nobody there that's saying to Hezekiah, You ought to do this, and you ought to do that. There's no pastor that's standing there saying, you know what, Hezekiah, things are going to get a lot worse if you don't... There's nobody saying that. You know where it rises? You know where it comes from? It comes from somewhere deep within him. That he realizes we are waiting in the balances here. And this is what the Word says. He's got the scrolls. He's got people reading it to him because he's the king. And he's got uh, something that's stirring on the inside. And, and it, now all of a sudden, it longs to find expression. It longs to be expressed in real terms. He's reading it, and he says, that's what God says, and I believe that God says what he means, and if we are, if we are going to be Israelites, then let's walk like Israelites. And he steps out, and he says, let me take the first step. That, my friend, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. I said, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. 
Look, it's not good enough. It's not good enough that we drag Harrison along to church here and have him come sit in the front row and he's fairly clean, fairly dressed well and, uh, you know, he's kind of got it together here. You know what? That's a good thing and we're glad you're here. We appreciate you being here. But I will tell you what, at some point, Jeff and Anna are not going to be within arm's length. And he's going to be by himself. And he's going to be out with his friends, and he's going to be doing things on his own. And you know what? He's going to need to have more than Harrison in order to stay on the right path. He's going to need to have more than just determination. Do you agree? He's going to need to have more than just now. What did Brother Barry say about that? What did he say about this? What was that scripture verse? Who was that king back there? He's going to need to have more than his memory just to remember what God said. And he's going to have to have more than just determination to recognize what God requires of me. He's got to have a Holy Spirit in him. He's got to have another life in him that pushes him towards the kingdom of God and the laws of God and the commandments of God. Otherwise, I will guarantee as good of a guy as he is and as strong and as stout as he is, and I don't want to wrestle you, but as good as a guy that he is and as good as a guy that all you guys on the front row are, it's going to take more than just you to make it through this world where we have lots and lots of appalling things going on. It's going to take more than just their determination and good families and lots of days spent in church for these girls to be able to rise up and stay pure until the end of their days when they stand at an altar and say, this is the first kiss I gave anybody is this boy right here. Let me tell you, that's a testimony and a victory that we find in Laodicea when all of the world has gone sexually wild. It's going to take more than just your determination and your attendance in order to accomplish that in your life. It's going to take Christ in you. In order for you to raise a family, in order for you to live right, in order for you to resist the temptations that abound, in order for you to push back in the culture, don't worry about canceling it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be here. It's going to get more appalling until we leave here. But you do need to push it back. You do need to put a door between yourself and Sodom. You do need to make sure that you don't let anything in that they're doing out there. Just keep, the, keep your house a place where the Holy Spirit is always welcome to visit. And nothing in that house is going to grieve them away. And whether it's on your phone or your computer or your TV, if you have one, or whatever else, I find Brother Branham very consistently saying exactly what Hezekiah was saying here. We've got to come back to the Word. How do we know this is the Holy Spirit? How do we know that this guy is operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How do we know? How many of you believe that the Holy Spirit existed in the Old Testament? Let me ask you again. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit existed in the Old Testament? He absolutely did. You know why? Because it's not another God. He wasn't born on Acts 2.38. Come on. It's a part of God, right? It's a manifestation of the one true God. And he existed in the Old Testament, right? Anybody hear the word spirit written in the Old Testament? Sure, it's there. And God singly would take individuals like this or Gideon or somebody else. And, and here's, here's Gideon, you know, operating, preparing for battle, claiming the land. Uh, you know, how about uh, the guy who killed the six hundred Philistines? Shamgar. Uh, and he's standing there. And Brother Bam said the Holy Spirit just came on him. And he looked at, at those six hundred Philistines and looked back at his wife, his scrawny wife and children. And he said he just, the Holy Spirit just anointed him. And he said that crowd became smaller. His wife and children became larger. And he looked out again and they became smaller. And they became larger. And he runs out on the field and kills 600 of them. If that ain't the Holy Spirit, what is it? 
Or who is it? That is the Holy Spirit, friends. They didn't have it en masse because they didn't have the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. But now, after the day of Pentecost, obviously because Jesus paid the price and the whole body of Christ uh, could enjoy uh, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the way that we have today. But let me tell you, uh, how do we know that that's God working in his heart? How do we know that that's God at work in Hezekiah's heart? You know why? Because he's turning things as painful and as stiff and with as much rust as on the valve. He's turning them back to the Word. Because that's the only way we're going to find favor with God. When you let education become the biggest factor in your life, when you let fear become the driving force in your life, fear is going to drive you to places that the Holy Spirit would not drive you to. Let me say it again. If you're governed by fear, if you live by fear, fear is not going to lead you where the Holy Spirit will lead you. It's just not. It's going to lead you to a place of so-called personal safety. It's going to lead you to a place of sanctuary on your own. The Holy Spirit doesn't always lead you to a place of sanctuary. Right? When Shamgar was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he didn't run for cover. He ran out onto the battlefield. When David saw Goliath, the Bible says he ran out onto the battlefield. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will always lead you back to the Word, and that's what Hezekiah is doing. And you know where he begins? Listen, you know where he begins to work at the temple? You know where he starts to work at the temple? Go down to verse 16 for me, if you will. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the courthouse of the Lord. And the Levites took it and they carried it abroad into the brook of Kidron. For eight days, the Bible says that they went into the house. And you know what they did? They took their phones. I don't hear any phones this morning. They took their phones. They, they went through their houses. They looked, they looked in the temple. And they went right first. They went to the inner part, the very center. And they began to see, all right, what belongs and what doesn't? Well, how do we know? Well, we look at the book. And they looked at the commandments. And they said, this belongs, this shoe bread, this... Uh, this uh, Aaron's rod, all of this belongs in the temple. Okay, check, check, check. This doesn't belong here. This book, this kind of music doesn't belong here. This kind of link on my phone doesn't belong here. It's not on the list. So if we're, if we're committed to the list, everything that's on the list gets a check mark and everything else gets the boot. But let me tell you something. And here's the key thing that you've got to understand. Young people, you've got to understand this. They started at the inside first. They didn't go around sweep the courtyard, and they didn't weed whack the, the walls of the, of the temple. They didn't do that first. They went to the inside. You know why? Because if I can get him to submit to the Holy Spirit, working on his heart on the inside, you know what? Everything else outward is going to be changed because he's got a changed heart. It's got to come from the inside, the inner part of that person first, and that's when they begin to... Uh, sanctify themselves. That's when they begin to apply the Word of God in their life. It's got to come from there first. If I'm just telling him, look, you need to, don't wear that shirt anymore that doesn't belong in church, and you should wear another pair of shoes, black shoes like I got on here, and do this. He'd be just putting those things on the outside just because I told him to do that, right? That's, that's the, and you know what? That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing if you're six years old, but at your age, at your age, we should be able to leave you alone if, if and I'm just, I'm using you as an example. You happen to be physically in the closest proximity to the pulpit here, so <laughs> welcome to my world, all right? 
Okay, so, uh, but let's just say this. Let's just say this, that at some point, at some point, it'd be really great to see Harrison, uh, any one of you guys, to be doing things because, simply because the word says so. Just because that's what God requires. And it's not mom and dad breathing down my neck, and it's not Brother Barry saying things. It's just that in my heart, I know what's right. And there's something in me that's pulsating and says that this is grievous, and, and this is, I should change this. And girls, it may be a dress, or it might be a split in your skirt, or something else there. And you know what? You can go back, and you can find where, uh, you know, the, the Scripture talks about modesty, and then you have Brother Brother Brother. I'm talking about the splits in the skirts, and all those things right there. I mean... Sometimes we need to say things, and sometimes uh, Brother Barry needs to get down on your face and teach it, and sometimes we need to have questions and answers so we can deal with it, and sometimes you need to have a PowerPoint to show you what's, what's this and what's that, and sometimes we have to do that. But you know what? At the end of the day, if there was no more church, if there was no more Brother Barry, if there was no more PowerPoints, and there was no more youth gatherings at all, I mean, would that be the end of the instruction in your life? Or has the Holy Spirit been given to us to sh- bring us and guide us into all truth? Isn't that what the Bible said and that what Jesus promised? That I'm going to go away and send you back the Comforter and he's going to guide you into all truth. Well, okay, if you live in the Spirit, then let's proceed. Let's go. Let's see where, this, let's see where the Spirit in you is taking you. And if the Spirit in you is taking you to sports, <clears throat> and sports are, are the God of your life, or, or the Spirit in you is taking you to education, and it doesn't matter where I live, it doesn't matter where, uh, where I go, uh, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, anything at all, or, uh, you know, a girl, all I want to do is get married, or all, a boy, all I want to do is get married here, and it's driving you into the arms of somebody who's not a believer, you have to ask the question, where is the Spirit in me taking me? I told you this is going to take us in places I never thought we were going to go. And this may seem obvious, but a lot of times it doesn't get said. So if you're a 14 or 15-year-old and you're a guy here and you're saying, well, i got a girlfriend because, you know what, it's cool to have a girlfriend. I would say this, that you probably need to rearrange your priorities and uh, find out what God would bless. Isn't it important for us to find out what God would bless? I want to know what God's going to bless in my life. I want to... I remember elder ministers years ago, and I traveled with them, and I would be going around different places in the world, and they would say, they would advise me to say, Brother Barry, watch what God's blessing in your life and stay with that. Lean into that when you watch and you identify what God's blessing. It's God's blessing you to have a girlfriend here and a boyfriend there and a girlfriend there. God, let me tell you something. Uh, I believe, in, I believe in the right way that a young boy and a young girl should meet in court and eventually get married. But in the world, they got a boyfriend and a girlfriend, they got them on the line, and they've you know, got a, a dozen different uh, folks that they'll text and communicate with and so on. And I realize I'm old-fashioned. I realize all of that, and so I don't want to hang myself yet. I'm going to hang myself officially later, but not yet, not this morning. But I just say this, that you've got to realize that when you become of age, when you become at a, at, a, at a point in life, when you're old enough to begin to make decisions on your own, and you're old enough for your parents to give you a phone and tell you, I've got to trust you with this. There comes a point where you ought to be praying that God would give me the sense of conviction. Enough Holy Spirit that he would convict me when I go a little bit too far. Because if I understand it right, the devil doesn't know where to stop. He gets a toe in, gets a foot in, 
gets a leg in. All of a sudden, he's all in. You've got a great big problem that you thought you could control. You ought to be praying that God will give you enough conviction that you never open the door and let the foot in. Slam the door hard. Because he comes in in our day like a flood. Like an absolute flood. But you know where they started to clean the temple? You know where they started this reformation? They started it on the inner part of the sanctuary, the temple. They went right on the inside of the inside. And that's where they began to to, um, cleanse the temple. And that's where it's got to begin. I'm sorry for being so simple. If you don't mind, let's just read a little bit further in the, in the book here because I want you to notice what happens here. So they, they begin this process of, of cleaning the church from the inside out. and All the trash is gone. They bring it down to the Blue Kidron in, in verse at the end of 19 uh, and, and 20 there. It talks about worship, and they begin to worship uh, as in David's day. What's significant about David's day in worship is that David introduced instruments in his era. And now they had harps and cymbals and trumpets and uh, lyres and so on. And so they, they, they began to do that, and they restored the, uh, the commandments of David. You'll find it described in verse 25 there, where they had in 26, where they talked about the instruments of David. Read 28 with me. And all the congregation worshipped, and the singer sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continual, uh, continued until the burnt offering was finished. And they had made an end to the offering, the king and all that were present with him. They bowed themselves and they worshipped, because this was an okay. Occasion of worship. This is a this is a, a time. This is the place where they 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 were they were free to do that now, and things were restored, and things were cleansed, and they had realized, Lord, e- even if we die right here, we've at least tried to do the right thing. Even if we don't have a, a million people here following us, we've we've gone into the holy place first, and we've cleansed out everything that doesn't belong. We've purged it out. We've applied the token here, and we've done everything we possibly could. Now, now, Lord, accept our worship and accept our praise and all, all the other uh, descriptions of the worship there that, that uh, went on. They were, they were excited about that. They were happy to be in church. They were happy to realize, you know what, if God forgives us, and what have we got to lose? What have we got to lose here? But if God forgives us, then praise God, we are forgiven and we can march on. We can proceed. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Verse 6 of the next chapter, chapter 30 there. They were so excited because God honored this entire process. In verse 6 of the next, of the next chapter 30, it says, And the posts went with letters from the king and the princes throughout all of Israel and said, Hey, Turn again. Come on to Jerusalem. Come on and we'll have a feast and a Passover. And so the word went out all over the country here because, uh, you know, the, the good things that God is doing and the good things that have happened here, there is a, uh, there, there's a gracious and merciful God that we serve. And you know what? He's, he's forgiven us and he's visited us here in Jerusalem. Why don't you come and be a part of it? And we restore the whole thing right back to the way that it used to be. Go down to verse 26 of ver- chapter 30 there. So there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there was not the like in all of Jerusalem. And then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place in the heaven. You know what they had? Now all of a sudden they had this direct connection between where they were and heaven itself. They knew their prayers were landing on the throne of God, and they were happy about it. They were excited about it. And i got to ask you the question, why shouldn't we be? Or what is it that's between us and God? 
that, that there, there shouldn't be a rejoicing when we pray that our prayers land right in the presence of God and He's got it. He's got the note in His hand. He's got it right here. Ah, yeah, Brother Frejo's in the hospital. I got it. And when you know that God's got it, you know what? You can cease from worrying. Isn't that true? When you know that God's got your request, you can cease from panicking and fretting. You know that God's got it. Hey, it's all under control. It's in God's hands now. Why wouldn't we rejoice over that? What the Holy Spirit does is lead people back to the Word, to apply the Word. Because they didn't just read the book and say, whoa, that's what it says. They went back and they applied it and they proceeded with restoring the temple and worship and their gatherings and church service and everything else. They restored it right back to where the Word described it in the first place. And if in your life you're wondering, how in the world do I put the pieces together? How in the world do I, uh, you know, uh, pull things back together when things are such a shamble here? I would just say this. You should just say to God, Lord, just help me to restore something. Just give me something that I can restore and make right. And I'll make that right. And then, uh, Lord, do it again. And, and ask Him to just help you make things right and put it back. And we do it one piece at a time. Somebody say amen. We do it one injury at a time. We do it one offense at a time. We do it one apology at a time. But we do it just piece by piece because God knows that some of our lives are a real tangle and a real mess. And He realizes that He just wants you to take it just a bit by bit and begin to restore it back and apologize and make things right and clean things up and get this out of your phone and get this out of your house and get this out of your life and say to the Lord I don't want to do it just because Brother Barry says so it gives us an example here but I want it to come from my heart so Lord deal with me first there that even if Brother Barry never mentions my situation even if he never describes my complaint then Lord give me a heart that is so moved on by the Holy Spirit, so filled by the Holy Spirit, that you'll move me to make things right. Because I don't want to have the judgments of God hanging over me. I want to have the blessing of God hanging over me. I want to have, I want to have the peace of God that passes understanding. I want to have the life of Christ in me. I want to have people say about me, I don't know who you guys are, but you guys are sure a joy to fish with today. Let's stand on our feet. There never was such a feast since the days of Solomon. Now, the days of Solomon, they had quite a feast. I mean, they had, uh, you know, they had quite a, quite a church service that weekend, you know, when they all got together and the Solomon's temple was dedicated. And, uh, there was a lot of people there. There was a lot of singing there, a lot of visitors there, and a lot of uh, lambs being wor- uh, offered and all the rest of it. I mean, it was quite, quite an event. You can read it very clearly in the Bible. And yet, when this young man is 25 years old, he takes it upon himself to take the first step to restore the kingdom back to where it ought to be. This is, he's listed, I'm just telling you, historically, he's listed as the, one of the top three kings in the history of Israel. The top three in terms of the guys that got it right, please God, live for God, you know, God was happy with. The top three. That's pretty good. I mean, even if they're partly wrong, and he wound up four or five, <laughs> still pretty good. Because there was hundreds of kings. And here he is, considered at 25 years old, he's initiating something here that's going to change the entire nation around him. Sometimes you might feel like you're in a rut. Sometimes you might feel like nothing's happening and nothing's going right. And You know, my goodness, there's spirits moving and there's things happening here and I don't understand why things are the way they are. 
A lot of times you need to look at this and say, Lord, is there something that I can restore? Is there something? And begin with my heart. Search my heart today and know whether there be something in there that's contrary to the Word or is moving me in the wrong direction. And just be honest with yourself. Is this moving me in the wrong direction? And if it is, you need to say, Lord, give me the courage and the strength to be able to stop it and to be able to move in the right direction. But, Lord, I want it to come from my heart. I want it to be that way. How many of you would have that kind of a desire in your heart? I mean, you might not have a problem, but you want to have that desire. Lord, if there's ever anything that pops up in my life that's moving me in the wrong direction, help me, Lord, to have the kind of heart that I can move in the right direction. I think every believer wants to have that. And that's what Paul meant when he said, if we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Let's proceed. Let me tell you, Satan doesn't want you to proceed. Satan wants you to digress. Satan wants you to be distracted. Satan wants you to go another path, right? He wants you to be feeling like you're going uphill and, you know, I'll never get it right and I'll never make it right and all the rest of it. And you feel like quitting. Everyone's against me. Nobody loves me. God doesn't care, right? Satan will tell you all those lies. You need to just simply say, Lord, give me a heart that can, number one, figure out what's right. Number two, help me walk in it so I can proceed. That's on, listen, that's on the other side of the day of Pentecost. That's on the other side. How about if we say, well, shouldn't it be a little better on the other side over here? Yeah. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Lord, give me that kind of a heart. Lord, soften my heart. Get me out, Lord, get me out of the rut. Get me out of the, just the, this passive indifference towards everything and just, uh, just waiting for some catastrophe. Hey, you probably won't have to wait long because it, 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 it's, it, we're living in a world that's just real close to whatever. Right? We're living in a world real close to whatever. And things can be quite different quite quickly. In the meantime, we're all appalled at what's going on. I've had enough appallment. I don't know about you, but I've had enough appallment. I was at the, we were on a journey the other day. We were going to rehearsal for the wedding. And I was over and I got in the car after we filled up for gas. And I said to my wife, I may need a lot of things in life. But what I don't need to do is watch TV while I'm pumping gas. What in the world? Who thought of that? That I need to watch TV on a, on a screen that's this big and watch TV while I'm pumping gas. And I purposely turn my back to it every time and I pump this way. Because I just think that's really, that's welcome to Laodicea. And I don't need to know what they're talking about, the latest movie and the latest thing like that. And I thought, wow, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Hmm. Now you can have it for me. I want to proceed. I want to proceed to the kingdom. If you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, let's do it. Let's proceed. If you need to make it right with somebody, make it right. Let's proceed. Let's go on. Where is the Spirit in you leading you? That's the great question that we leave with today. Right? That's the great question that we have. Hey, let's sing. Let's sing something a little fast here. Every praise is to our God. Mitchell? Crank that thing up there and help me sing this, all right? Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship is one accord. Whoa, every praise will give. 
Something in my heart like a stream running down. Well, it makes me feel so happy, happy as can be. And when I think of Jesus, what he's done for me, gives me something more than gold in my soul. Yes, there's something.
they must have felt when they came into the temple when Hezekiah restored it all, lit the candle, opened the door, and everything now was kind of coming back in order. And they came in and they realized, wow, I read the book too. I wrote the vision books. They sent me a Bible. Man, I read in the book and saw what God said. And I learned from that that God means what he says. And I'm... I'm happy to be back in church. I'm happy to be on the right path. I'm happy to be refocused again. I'm happy to have my life squared away. I mean, you can imagine how they must have come into church. They probably didn't come in and say, He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. I don't think they did it that way. I mean, they must have been excited to see. Oh, praise God, somebody took the initiative. Somebody said it. Thank God for Hezekiah. Somebody said it. And said, you know what? We're messed up. We're just a messed up people. And we have a way. We have a way back. We have a remedy. And let's apply it. Let's do it. And don't be negligent now. He said to do that. But I'll tell you what it has to begin. It has to begin from the center of the center. And Lord, help me get my life. You know, there's nothing worse than watching after a revival takes place and everybody's on fire. Half hour ahead of time they're in church. Oh, yes, sir, at their post of duty. And a month later, you wonder, where are they? Where did they go? But they must have come in and they said, oh, I'll tell you, that's, to me, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. They got it, and they got it, and they got it, and it don't go away. It don't go away. Let's sing it again. I will enter, I will enter His courts with thanksgiving in my heart.
Hezekiah have to look to? Look to his father. His father was a corrupt king. He sided with the world around him. And I'll tell you what. Guess who was the king of the kingdoms of the world at that time? You know who the big guy was? The big guy with all the armies and the power and the money and the wealth was Sennacherib. And lo and behold, two or three chapters up the line here, 
Hezekiah gets word that Sennacherib is after him. You know why Sennacherib's after him? Because his father joined forces with Sennacherib, and Hezekiah says no more. Israel is not going to join forces with the world anymore. So Sennacherib comes along and says, well, I'll show him. Marches all the armies right to the border of Israel. They tell Hezekiah. You know what? They didn't have to go light the candles. They didn't have to go open the doors. They didn't have to sweep out the tabernacle. Come on. They didn't have to make preparation. They didn't have to say, now, who's a priest? Uh, they didn't have to say, where's your garment? They didn't have to say any of that. All right, we got any instruments here or musicians? They didn't have to say that. You know what? Everything was in order. And when the enemy came in like a flood, they were standing there and Hezekiah said, let's pray. And they prayed and God took care of that army. Every one of them died and Sennacherib goes home, the king of the world. And he goes home and hangs his head and one of his own family kills him on the spot. Don't tell me that God doesn't hear prayer. He does. And let me tell you, that's way before the day of Pentecost. And I'd ask you, what spirit is motivating that young king? What spirit is moving that 25-year-old to do what he's doing? He doesn't know the future, and he doesn't know Sennacherib is around the corner. And you don't know what's around your corner. The thing for you today to do today is to say, Lord, you've revealed your word. You've opened up your word so clearly. And you've given me the Holy Spirit, the interpreter of the word. Lord, help me to take my part and live it. And apply it from the inside out. Because you don't know what Sennacherib is around your corner. You don't know what army is marching against your walls. You really don't know. It could be a very pretty girl. It could be a very, uh, you know, tempting offer of something. You don't know. But let me tell you, the devil's got lots of Sennacheribs. And he's not afraid to march them right up to your doorstep and make you feel intimidated. But hey, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. Thank you, Jesus. What have we got to fear? Hey, we serve the one true and living God. We're not afraid of the future. We're not afraid of where this is leading us. You've got to answer the question, where is what I've got leading me? Because that's going to be really, really important. A vessel of honor I am today. Didn't throw the play away. Sing the verse Empty and broken, I came back to you. A unworthy, so scarred by sin that he did not. He started over again, and I blessed the day he didn't throw the clay away, and over and over 
bow our heads together this morning. Every eye closed now. Put your camera on me for a minute. And just make this pledge to God. Make this request to God down your own way. Lord, give me a heart like Hezekiah had. That didn't need to be prompted. Didn't need to be threatened and pushed. Lord, give me a heart like Hezekiah. That you who knows the need... You know the vessel you can use and you know the way to get things done. If you'd like to have that kind of heart, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Heavenly Father, we're just clay, but we're clay in the Master's hand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just mold the heart that's within us, Lord. Mold it in such a way that you can deal with us, flow through us like you did Hezekiah. A 25-year-old young man, not afraid to stand in front of the congregation of the greatest people on earth and to stand there with all the elders and rabbis and everybody around him and say, it's time to clean the temple. It's time to get back to the Word. It's time for us to do things God's way and to be totally unafraid, to be totally unashamed and to submit his life to you. Lord, I just pray you deal with my heart that way. And, Lord, we would have just this boldness as we, as we carry out your word and a sensitivity at the same time to your will. Father, deal with us. Deal with us, I pray. Because, Lord, while there's still blood on the mercy seat and while there's still grace available to the people of God, we want to be found being able to be used by you. We want to be found as moldable. We don't want to be found dried up and hard. We want to be found moldable by you. And so, Lord, add in every service. Add in something, Lord, that is for each one of us to do. Add in something, Lord, that we cannot deny applies to us. Add in, add in that which is needed, Lord, in our lives so that we shall all go in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Lord, that's our desire. That's our heart's cry. That's exactly, Lord, where we want to be today. Come, I pray, Lord, and move among us and speak to us. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, of our weaknesses. Forgive us, Lord, of our, our wayward thoughts. Forgive us, Lord, of putting so many things ahead of important things. Bring us, Lord, I pray, a little higher. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us in the right direction. And, Lord, we want to just be found right smack in the center of your will. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Now deal with every heart, I pray. Deal with us deeply. Deal with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give thanks with a grateful
because he's given Jesus Christ his son and now let the weak say I am strong and let the poor say I am rich because of what Jesus Christ. 